cleansing, uh, refreshing. It's life-sustaining. I mean, we have to have water. Um, And if you're my daughter, Iris, who's seven, water is fun. She takes swimming lessons from our very own Michael Jensen, who sits up here. Uh, He gets to have the pleasure of working with Iris every week, and she's doing wonderful. I really think um, it's important for her to have these swim lessons because water is powerful, and it's something that should be respected. And so I really want my kids to be good swimmers and be comfortable around water, mainly because Allie and water does not mix. You see, I grew up in a very small town, and there was no swimming pool, but we had a deal. The school paid for our swim lessons. So anybody that wanted swim lessons could sign up for free, but here was the catch. You had to get up really early and get on a school bus, and they bust us 20, 30 miles or 30 minutes away to the next town over, and then all of us kids from the Toma got off the bus, and we did our swimming lessons, and we did that for two weeks. Um, Because of our family situation and, and the things we had going on in the summer, I very rarely got to complete the full two weeks of my swim lessons. And thus, I never passed my class. Consequently, I was in the same beginning swimmers class year after year after year, which is pretty awkward for like a third grader surrounded by five-year-olds. Eventually, they just passed me on to the next class. I think I topped out at advanced beginner. So I am an advanced beginner swimmer, people. I'm very proud of that. I am proficient at two things. The doggy paddle and the dead man float. So I'm not joking when I'm saying I'm really terrible at swimming. And so in reality, I can understand where those sayings come from. I'm just trying to tread water. I can barely keep my head above the water. I've experienced that sensation as a child and even as an adult. It's really terrifying. I take my kids to the pool and that feeling that you get out past like four feet of water, you know, and you start going down and then you start, your feet start to not touch anymore. That just sends panic in me because I know at the end of the day, I can't swim. Take that feeling and translate that into raw emotion. Take that sensation and magnify it by 1000%. And then you might begin to get close to what the psalmist was feeling when he wrote Psalm 69. My friends, Psalm 69 is not a complaint, a mere grumbling, or an everyday frustration. It is much, much deeper than that. It is a human being crying out from the depths of the deepest, darkest waters that life can bring. Crying out to God from a situation that brings the psalmist face to face with death. Now, originally I had not put this in my sermon, but I thought this was kind of interesting. When I was reading the commentaries, they talked about the neck having a cultural significance. The throat, the neck, that life, if this is cut off, what happens? You die. So this is very much a matter of life and death for the psalmist. He feels very deeply that he is close to death. With that in mind, I'm going to read just a few phrases from Psalm 69. Julie did a wonderful job expressing that with emotion. 
But let me read it to you from the good news version of the Bible and keep in mind now that you kind of know the state of mind that the psalmist is in. Save me, O God. The water is up to my neck and I'm sinking in deep mud and there's no solid ground. I'm out in deep water and the waves are about to drown me. I am so worn out from calling for help and my throat is aching. I have strained my eyes looking for your help. The psalmist takes a a bit more of an optimistic turn here in verse 13. But as for me, I will pray to you, Lord. Answer me, God, at a time that you choose. Answer me because of your great love, because you keep your promise to save. Save me from the sinking in the mud. Keep me safe from my enemies, safe from the deep waters. Don't let the flood come over me. Don't let me drown in the depths or sink in the grave. That is very powerful stuff. Now, just so that we can understand, and especially for those of you just joining us in this sermon series, Psalm 69 is a lament. It's a specific kind of psalm. There are various types of psalms contained within the book of Psalms, and I kind of want to break them down for you, just because I'm having a little moment of nerdiness, like I just want to share this with you, okay? So there is a German Old Testament scholar by the name of Hermann Gunkel, and he has these major works from Genesis and from the Psalms, and he categorizes the Psalms into five primary types. And again, I think this is interesting, so I just want to share this with you. There's the five types. Number one are hymns, songs of praise for God's work in creation or history. We know those. Number two, communal laments, in which the nation laments some communal disaster that has befallen on the people. Number three, there are royal psalms, dealing with such matters as the king's coronation, marriage, and battles. And a few concern the kingship of God. Number four, individual laments. Lamenting the fate of the particular individual who utters them. They are by far the most common type of psalm. They typically open with an invocation of Yahweh, followed by the lament itself and pleas for help, and often ending with an expression of confidence. And then finally, the individual thanksgiving psalm, the opposite of the individual lament in which the psalmist thanks God for deliverance. Clearly with Psalm 69, we're dealing with an individual lament. What caused the psalmist in this particular song to feel the way that he does? We don't really get that backstory. We know there are lots of external forces at play. We know he is despised and ridiculed for his faith in God. And he has broken relationships with his family and friends. He feels utterly beaten down and alone in the world. He has had some sort of material loss. I mean, there's that phrase in there. It's kind of curious. He said, I even have to give back the things I didn't take. So I don't know what he had to give up or what he lost. We can probably assume that some of what the psalmist laments about is metaphorical in nature. 
And this method of generalized or universal themes ensures that even today that these themes resonate with us through the generations and across cultures. Maybe our circumstances are different than the author of Psalm 69, but I think that we all can relate to the feeling at least once in our life where we are in some pretty deep waters and the water is about up to here. Perhaps it's a health issue, a broken relationship, job loss or financial distress, loss of a loved one, a fall from grace, an unwarranted attack, an addiction and its ramifications. Any one of these things could cause us to feel overwhelmed. But let's face it, we never just have one of those things going on, do we? A series of those things could just really send you into a tailspin to make you feel like you're rapidly going under. These are the situations and events that lead us to just want to cry out in pain. But I got to thinking, what good is a cry for help unless there is someone to hear it? What good is a lament if there is no one to receive it? It is in those desperate times when we frantically want someone to listen to us and be there for us. For me, I get on the cell phone and I call my sister Amber real quick. Unfortunately, she lives out in Kansas and our call gets dropped about six times. So having a conversation with her is difficult at best. But in human terms, that's who I want to call. Is I want to call my sister. I mean, maybe you've got someone like that in your life. And I think we're lucky if we have a couple of special folks who we can confide in. You know, like a family member or a spouse, a pastor or an advisor, a co-worker or neighbor, someone who we can share our stresses with. We can pour out our frustrations and we can release our most secret and sorrowful situations. But there are certainly times when it... You know, it's just not convenient to share these things, you know? I mean, we're busy, they're busy, you know, it it causes problems. Um, You know, maybe time and distance kind of separates you from that person that you can really connect with. Other times, and, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but sometimes you just have a pain that's just really hard to articulate. I mean, you want to share it with someone, but... You don't even know how to express it, and so you you just don't. Now, I go, I look through the lens of life uh, from what I can see, you know, my experience, and I assume that everybody has at least somebody, you know, that they can talk to. But I think the reality is that there are people, due to circumstances or choices they have made, that have isolated them from society, family, and friends. And for those folks, they don't even have another human that they can really talk to. Jocelyn Soriano is a contributor to the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. And she expresses the unfortunate limitations that occur in human interactions and relationships. In her devotion from August 2014, entitled Comfort in Our Darkest Hour, she recalls the story in Mark 14, just before Jesus' death. The scriptures say this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he, Jesus, said to his disciples, just just sit here while I pray. 
He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? And Jesus simply wanted his friends and his disciples to stay awake and be present with him in those final dark and anguishing hours. And I don't know about you, but I just find this such a cringe-worthy set of scriptures. One is just so hard to imagine Jesus in that amount of pain. And then just the fact that his friends, you know, they're human. And in that instance, they did fail him. Jocelyn writes, How alone Jesus must have felt on the night before his death. His disciples could e- couldn't even stay awake to keep him company in prayer. That night, one of his closest friends betrayed him. She says, I've had my share of times when I felt lost and when I felt a heavy burden deep within me. Finding people who would listen to my cries wasn't easy. Most people are already overwhelmed with their own burdens and they don't have the energy to share in someone else's. We all experience times of brokenness, broken hearts, lost jobs, failing health, the death of loved ones. In these times, we need all the support we can get. We need friends who will listen without getting tired and family members who will stay with us when we can't sleep. Like us, Jesus must have looked for comfort. He must have wanted support from those he loved, but he found no sympathy. Only in the Father did he find strength to carry on. He cried out in his deepest fears, knowing that God would not judge him, but instead would love and support him all the way. We can do the same. That is true. We don't have to be in the position that Jesus was. We don't have to be the psalmist. We also, in our pain, can cry out to the Lord. It was alone that Jesus cried out to God in the night, disappointed by his friends. And the psalmist in verse 20 says, I hoped for sympathy, but there wasn't any. I hoped for comforters, but I couldn't find any. And thus, he turned his cries for help to the Lord. Yet, it is ironic that despite all the frustration, chaos, and unexplainable pain brought forth from a lament like Psalm 69, it is girded by a frail yet hopefully constructed sense of confidence. I was feeling pretty good when I wrote that sentence. Can I write that? Or read that one again? Psalm 69 is girded by a frail yet hopefully constructed sense of confidence. It is as if the psalmist knows this single truth amid all the confusion. God will be there to hear his cries. In verse 32 and 33 of the same psalm, 
He says, you who seek God, let your hearts beat strong again because the Lord listens to the needy and doesn't despise his captives. When the raging waters were swirling around his neck, God provided presence. God provided comfort. God was his foothold. Now, generally, I mean, this is, I am not downing on any of us. I mean, I think that we do the best we can for one another. Don't you agree? I mean, we try to listen intently. We try to make ourselves available to those we know and to those who need us the most. We aren't perfect at it, but we try. And we shouldn't stop trying to be there for others in need. That's not the point I'm trying to make. Often we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and his ears when needed too. I think there's some people in this world who are really good at listening, like Denny. If you want to talk, come to Allie. We all have a special gift. But only God, in God's divine perfection, can be there for us without reservation or constraints. Only God's availability is endless. And only God's ability and capacity to understand is unrivaled. And because of that, I believe we are granted great comfort in our most profound times of need. I think it's worth reiterating the comfort of knowing that when you are broken and hurting, when you are about to be pulled under into the deep waters and you desperately need to find some solid ground, if you cry out to the Lord, God will be there. When it feels like it's all slipping away and you're out of control and you need something solid, God is there. God assures us this in his his promises to us in Isaiah 43, 2. The Lord God says, when you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. When you pass through fire, you will not be burned. The hard trials that come will not hurt you. For I am the Lord your God, the holy God of Israel, who saves you. So I want to break away here for just a minute or two as we begin to conclude the sermon this morning. I want to share something personal with you. And this isn't going to be one of my funny little anecdotes or my witty little observations. Just to be clear, this happened to me, but it's certainly not about me. It's about the strength and compassion of God. You see, I believe in the power of lament because I experienced it firsthand some years back. But prior to that experience, I was very much having this Jerry Seinfeld moment when I was like, what's the deal with laments? I mean, who does that? I mean, I would read these things as a kid, and I thought, these are so bizarre. These people are just wailing and weeping, and they go get my enemies, God, and all these things. And I thought, I don't know who does that. I just thought, well, maybe this is some sort of literary convention and nothing more. But then it happened to me. The details are not what's important. Just that you know I was hurt and my heart was broken. In fact, the hurt was so deep that I felt it physically. Have you ever had that kind of 
aching inside where you just, you literally feel it. I couldn't escape what I was feeling. It was sucking me under. It was then that I found myself feeling much like the psalmist. The pain was so immense that one night I cried out to God. I didn't literally cry out because I think David was next to me and the kids were sleeping, so it was more like, God. But it was there. This just release. God, I can't get over this. It was more than prayer. It was beyond conversation that God and I just go through the day. It was more real and more palpable than any experience that I have ever shared with God. If I tried to put it into words, what occurred, I feel like I wouldn't do it justice, and so I won't. But what I can tell you is this. God heard my cries. God showed up. And what was so striking about this encounter was not anything that I saw or anything that I heard It's what I felt. It's as if a barrier had been removed and I could fully feel the presence of the divine. What I felt at that moment was enough to carry me for a lifetime. And I have often recalled that feeling. I suppose that's what God intended. Because now I know what Jesus knows and what the psalmist knew. That God wouldn't just listen perfectly and understand fully, but God would also be there. I didn't get all the answers that night. God didn't reveal the path ahead. But just knowing and feeling God's presence was enough to give me a foothold. I think that in itself was the answer, you know. It was the rock I needed in that moment. And it allowed me to know that despite the painful journey ahead, I had hit solid ground with God. This sermon series is about going from weeping to dancing. And I'm sorry, today perhaps the focus has been more on the weeping. Unfortunately, as humans, sometimes we have to live into the pain and the circumstances of our situation for some time before we get to dance again. But just as I can get up here and assure you that God will be there for you and hear you when you call out from the deepest of the waters, I can also assure you that you will dance again. When you find your footing, you can take the first steps. When you trust and know that God will not let you go under, your steps just might be dance steps. Who knows? A few at a time some here and there, until you can fully leap and twirl confidently, leaving the ground with beauty and grace, full of joy and assurance that the Lord is your God, and on God you will surely land. So today, don't tell Jim, there's no assignment. There's nothing you have to talk about unless you want to. Today there's no assignment, there's just assurance. Today some of you have discovered 
and for others you have reawakened to this essential truth. When you pass through deep waters, God will be there. And that, my friends, is worth dancing for. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, sometimes we find ourselves in some very deep and painful waters. At times we feel so overwhelmed that we are sure we're going to go under. We can't find our footing. We have lost touch from any sense of stability. We're just trying to figure out how to survive. We can't even imagine how we might begin to dance again. We find comfort and solace in friends. And we thank you for the gift of friendship and companionship. But God, there are times when our pain, our suffering, and our brokenness cannot be comforted by human hearts, no matter how hard they try. Help us to turn our cries to you. Remind us that more than anything, you desire to calm the raging waters in our lives. Impress on us how sincerely you want us to turn to you in these moments. Let us never forget, O God, that you are the solid rock upon which we seek steadiness once more. That you always have and you always will be there for us. As we travel through Lent and we approach Easter, let us be ever aware that your plan is for us to dance once again. That we are the beneficiaries of the resurrection. That you loved us so much that you gave your son Jesus for us so that we might have hope. That despite what we experience here in this life, one day we will dance with you in eternity. Amen.